This is the Inclusion Think Tank podcast brought to you by New Jersey Coalition for Inclusive Education, NJCIE, where we talk about inclusive education, why it works, and how to make it happen. On today's episode, I welcome my guests, Monica Ahern and Maureen Piccoli-Kern. In this, part one of our conversation, Monica and Maureen share what has surprised them most, having both worked in school districts and now as parent advocates. They also share some of the common challenges that parents face when they are pushing toward an inclusive education environment for their children. I would like to welcome everyone back to another episode of the Inclusion Think Tank podcast. I am your host, Arthur Aston, and today I am joined by two guests uh, on the podcast. I'm joined by Monica Ahern and Maureen Piccoli-Kern for this uh, episode of the podcast. So thank you both for joining me today. Thank you for having us. So I would uh, like to start off by asking you both to introduce yourselves and share uh, with us who you are, what you do, and something that you like to do for fun. Uh, We can start with Monica and then Maureen, you can uh, share after Monica. Okay. My name, um, as you said, is Monica Ahern. Um, I am a former director of special services. I also um, spent probably over 30 years in education. I was a teacher, learning disabilities, um, teacher, consultant, principal, um, you name it, I probably did it in special education, in education. Um, so after I retired, I joined um, with NJCIE doing presentations for districts, um, working with districts, and now I um, work with Include NJ as a parent advocate. Um, for fun, I love to um, spend time with my family, especially my two uh, grandchildren. That's great. <laughs> and Maureen, what about you? Hi, my name is Maureen Piccoli-Kern. Um, I have been um, special ed director, a teacher. I worked in both um, with the New York City Board of Education, as well as coming out to New Jersey, where I thought I had landed on maybe a different planet. I wasn't quite sure. Um, I've lived in New Jersey all my life. Um, I've been in education um, since I was in high school. Um, many experiences as a director, as a teacher um, of students with autism, um, just some great and wonderful experiences. Um, I have worked very hard to push for inclusion in everything that I do in both school and in the community. Um, And my favorite thing to do is put me on a beach anywhere, anyhow, any day, and I am a happy soul. <laughs> yes, any day at the beach is a good day. I <laughs> I agree. That is uh, one of my favorite things to do as well is to be uh, at the beach. And again, it doesn't matter if it's summertime or not. I just uh, really enjoy it. For the next question, uh, this can be uh, both of you can can share. Um, And that is, what would you say is the most surprising thing you have seen in the transition from uh, working within the district uh, to working with parents? And what do you feel makes you so effective at working with districts for inclusive education? I think I'll I'll start it and then Monica can jump in. I think one of the things um, 
I was, I, Monica and I both kind of say we've been on both sides of the fence. Um, when I was working in a school district, I thought that we were doing a really good job collaborating with parents, working with them as partners. That was one of the things that we all prided ourselves on. As I start to work with parents, I really see that the collaboration that we thought was happening was really a one-sided collaboration. So one of the things that was very surprising to me was how, um, how districts do not understand how to effectively collaborate with parents in a way that they feel like they are a part of the team. I, I echo that as well. It's, um, I think as an advocate who works throughout the entire state, um, all from the tip of Bergen County down through Atlanta County, it continuously surprises me and not in a good way when I see child study teams who don't treat parents with respect, who don't treat parents as equal partners at the table. And in um, when I have the opportunity to do child study team training and work on the other side with districts, that's the first thing I work with them and say, you you know, a little respect goes a long way. So I think it's constantly surprising when we don't, when I see parents being treated so disrespectfully and not being treated as part of the collaborative process. And I think one of the things that, as Maureen said, we do really well is that because we can see both sides of it and because we have been on both sides of it, we do understand the um, the strains that our a district is under, or the um, financial strains, or or the political strains. So we are able to share that with the parent and be able to sit at the table and and try and um, build relationships rather than just kind of go on the attack on either side. So I think that's what makes Maureen and I really good at what we do because we're able to really help walk that line and build collaborative relationships. And, and I, I think one of the other things that that um, amazed me um, is that we all still speak um, special ed language. And I, I call it that. And um, I, we believe that parents understand what we are saying, what we are talking about, what we are trying to do. And when I talk to parents, I've come to realize that their understanding, even though there has been tons of training, tons of resources, tons of support that parents still um, don't know what they don't know. So when they go to meetings, when they speak with child study teams, they really don't even understand what the process is, what's being, what's being talked about. So for a lot of parents, you'll hear the word frustrating. So they'll say, I'll say, well, why didn't you ask? And they'll say, oh, no, I, you know, I didn't want them to think I didn't understand. So they're, they feel intimidated about asking questions. I'm shocked at how many parents don't even know what the classification of their child is. Do they like, I'll, that's the first question I'll say, well, what are they classified or what's the classification? They don't know. And they're afraid to ask. So I, I think that's shocking. And, and just on the inclusion side of this, there are just so many parents um, that I talk to who don't even realize that inclusion is an option because mm -hmm. it's, an, it's an option that was never presented to them by their child study team. Um, they were they are told from the beginning, you know, this is the best 
best place for your child. This is where they'll learn well. This is where they will progress. So parents grow up believing that inclusion isn't even an option that they consider until Monica and I start talking to them about it. Yes, I think, um, like you said- We before, talk a lot, we... by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think it's, it's so important that you, um, that you have had the experience on both sides and you can bring the experience from, from those both sides to these conversations uh, that you're now having with parents. And um, as I mentioned, I, I've been doing this podcast now for uh, two years, which is hard to believe, um, but a common, um, a common thread amongst a lot of the guests that I have, they talk about the importance of the collaboration and um and the lack of collaboration that um you know that exists and and that is something that still needs to be worked on in a lot of districts and um but when there is the, the correct collaboration uh that takes place and how it, it can lead to successful uh inclusion and um you know so i i always love hearing that how you know although you know my guests have not you know all been on the same podcast episode they all say uh you know, very similar things a lot of times. So that's really, really great to hear. So both of you mentioned that you uh, currently are working with Include NJ. Can you share with us uh, some um, additional information about Include NJ, the work that you do there and the services that the organization provides? I'll start again. Um, I'm gonna read our vision to you because I think our vision um, embraces everything everything that Include NJ believes and works toward. And our vision is that we envision a world where people of all ages and abilities are valued, respected, and included. And that that is a, the vision and that is the mission that we work towards. So when we talk about Include NJ, we always have our eye on that vision and we try to hold true to that vision. So I will leave that there and let Monica talk about Include NJ. <laughs> so um, Include NJ is really, um, our purpose is to work with parents and empower parents so that they can be the advocates for their child. So the nuts and bolts of it is, is that we typically, um, we offer two tiers of services. So um, right now we are basically a two uh, woman operation and you're looking at it, it's Maureen and I. And so tier one, um, usually um, you will get Maureen and Maureen um, will work with parents to, um, she'll re review IEPs, she'll talk with parents, she'll kind of figure out what help she can provide the parents um, we kind of say behind the scenes. So she's um, working with parents. She's helping them write letters to the district, helping them fight for inclusive opportunities for their for their child. Sometimes it's um, just in small areas like um, pushing uh, therapy. Sometimes it's in, in big areas where the student is in a self-contained class and we're trying to get them into a general education class. So tier one services really is empowering the parent, teaching the parent, parent, helping them understand what the IEP should look like, um, what the IEP can um, contain. One of Maureen's um, biggest thing is always uh, training for school personnel. So that's a little piece of the IEP that often gets overlooked. And that's Maureen's 
where she jumps in and says, what kind of training can we make sure that your teacher or your para gets to make sure that your child is getting what they need? Our goal is always to try and keep tier one because we really want to empower that parent. Sometimes the communication or the collaboration falls flat at that point and the district is kind of like, nope, absolutely not. This is, we're not moving. So then the, the um, parent would get pushed up to tier two and that's where I come in and I'm the outside or the third party who comes in to try to facilitate better conversation, collaboration. I will attend IAP meetings or 504 meetings with parents. Um, sometimes I'll, um, again, go over IEPs, write letters, help them draft letters, um, whatever the parent needs, but I'm much more visible. Um, oftentimes at that point, we're filing for mediation or the district attorney's involved. So I'll communicate with the district attorney for the parent. So I become more visible and we try and work towards whatever um, problems at all times, empowering the parent, teaching the parent the process and how really helping them learn how to advocate for their child um, through the whole thing. If we really can settle it by due process, we then um, will um, refer out to uh, attorneys. We have attorneys who work with us, um, some pro bono, some um, not, you know, on a sliding scale, and then we refer out. But we try not to get to that point. We try to really help and empower parents before then um, to, because the parent has to work with the district for the entire, sometimes <clears throat> we get kids at age three, right? They have 18 more years to work with the district. So we really wanna make it a very um, collaborative relationship. And the last thing we wanna do is start getting everybody's backs up. So we try and facilitate uh, an, a relationship that is collaborative, but always, always, always in the best interest of the child, right? So I think the one thing that Maureen and I always do is what's in the best interest of the child and work from there and, and help because that's what the parent wants. Did I leave anything out? There, yeah, there, there's two <laughs> other things I think that are important to know. Um, both Monica and I, because we've been in the system, for so long know um, a lot about um, outside resources. So if a parent needs to um, connect with the, um, the CMO, the care management organization, the children's system of care, if a parent needs to connect with DDD or DVRS or, you know, the alphabet soup of agencies that are out there that, you know, all have their own application, their own process, um, Monica and I are able to walk the parents through that. Um, because I think, as we all know, um, educating a child is not just about a school and a building. It's a, it's a community-wide effort. So the more we can engage the community in um, helping the parent, helping the child, um, the better off the parent will be. And the other thing that we have started to do is um, work with districts who are looking to either create or um, enhance their CPACs. So every district um, is required by code to have what's called a CPAC. Some of them are very effective um, and some of them are really, you know, searching out help. So Monica and I have been um, engaged with a couple of districts to really help them because their goal, which is, which is a wonderful goal, is to um, help create a more inclusive community. So not just the school, not just a district, but an entire community. Um, and we've been I think, very successful in working with CPACs and helping create them. What should they look like? Um, 
you know, how do you kind of, you know, navigate this whole CPAC thing? And we want parents to take um, ownership of CPACs. Right now in a lot of districts, most of the special ed director or mostly the special ed director has has sort of ownership of the CPAC. Uh, what we are trying to do is again, empower parents so that the CPAC becomes theirs. It becomes their voice um, to the board of education, to the superintendent, as well as the community. And for those who don't know, a CPAC is the Special Education Parent Advisory Group. <laughs> so every district, because Maureen's talking in special ed alphabet. That's right. <laughs> so uh, every district is required by special education code um, to have this group. It's a parent advisory group. So um, if you are listening and your district doesn't have one, um, you can call and include NJ and we will help you set one up. Um, that's something that we do, but you are required. So we've, we have been working with those. Um, a tidbit of information, just so you know, Maureen and I have been working together for over 24 years at this point. So she hired me and gave me my first administrative uh, job. So I always refer to her because she forever will be my boss. So she always, she, she always takes the lead. <laughs> it's it's really amazing work that you all are doing and um maureen i i appreciated what you said there uh toward the end about it being uh the inclusive community and you know outside of the school like because that is um it's it's so true it, it applies to all areas of the community where uh you know this this can uh it, it's important in on all areas um, because the, the children with disabilities are not just in the school buildings, they are in the community. So to, uh, you know, to, to make that extension beyond the school walls is, um, you know, so important. And um, you all started talking about this um, a little bit earlier, but can you share um, some of the common challenges that parents face when they are pushing for inclusive education for their children? I think one of the biggest challenges we see parents face is, you know, I always say that everyone goes into, no one goes into um, education to get rich, right? Everyone goes into education because they feel like they're doing the right thing for kids. So um, when parents go to an IEP meeting, oftentimes teachers, child study team members, directors are telling parents that the best thing they can do for their child, and if they really love and care for their child, they will put them in a small class, you know, um, a self-contained class with one-to-one -one instruction, and that's where they're going to learn best. And I do believe that these people, that these these professionals really do in their heads think that is the best thing for the child because they haven't caught up on the um, research from the past 30 years that tells us that's not true. But anyway, well, that's another podcast. Um, so I, so what happens is, is that parents go into IEP meetings and they're not educators, right? They didn't go to school for this. And they're listening to these professionals who tell them, if you love your child, if you want your child to learn, you have to do what's best for your child. And that is non-inclusion that is putting them in the small class with one-to-one -one, not with their typical peers you know and that's what they're going to learn so i think one of the greatest challenges is that they have professionals telling them that this is the right thing even though they feel or they know that it's not and then we were sharing in a conversation recently that 
I've recently had a case that went to court and the judge was saying to the parents, why are you doing this? Don't you care about your child? The district wants to give them one-to-one -one instruction and you're fighting to have them in a bigger class. And then even some medical doctors are saying, well, don't you want, you know, your child belongs in a one-to-one. -one. So the challenge for the parent is to stand up against teachers, child study team members, medical doctors, right? We all listen to our doctor, judges who really don't understand the benefits of inclusive education, and they're now trying to say, no, I know this is right, but they don't have anybody standing behind them. And I think that's what where Maureen and I and other people who fight for inclusive education come in because we stand behind them and we say, no, we're the experts. We've been doing this for 30 years. Here's all the research. We can support you. But a big part of it is, you know, there are these people, you know, one person or two people in a meeting with all these experts saying, if you love your child, you'll put them in this small classroom. So I think that's a huge challenge for them. I, I think the I think the other challenge is um, for for, for um, and it's really for districts. I think that you know we've done a lot of training on inclusion. Um, I think there's there's a, a a cultural part of inclusion. There's a mindset part of inclusion, and there's also a, a practical how to part of inclusion. I I, I believe that a lot of um, people, you know, will say they believe in inclusion. Um, but when it comes to really knowing how to appropriately support a child in an inclusive class, how to modify for them, how to accommodate for them, um, they they draw blanks or they'll try something for a week or two and, you know, it doesn't work and, you know, this isn't working, let's move them back to the um, more restrictive environment. So I still think that um, educators' minds need to be expanded and they need to believe that this is possible. And if they believe that this is possible, I think all of the other pieces will fall into place, meaning that they'll learn how to accommodate, they'll learn universal design for learning, they'll learn all of those things, which will make parents' jobs when they're asking for inclusion and much I easier. I think what you said, Maureen, is important. It, the mindset has to come first, because if we still go to, into a school and they say, this is the inclusive classroom, we're doomed, right? The whole, every, all students need to be in all classrooms. And then we just provide the support that everyone needs in every classroom. But until we get to that point where we, we, we take away like the inclusive classroom, we're not going to be there, right? It has to be that all students are included in every classroom. So the mindset has to come and then we, we can continue to teach. But the, um, there's a lot of teachers and, and even principals who feel like, oh, these students belong here. It's still a segregation. And, you know, um, they have to earn their way in. Another big challenge is, is regardless of what the Supreme Court has said, people still think kids have to earn their way into general education. We see that a lot. Oh, they have to, you know, have, you know, uh, zero behaviors, or they have to be on this reading level, or they have to be in general education. So these are all challenges that parents are fighting day after day after day, and it becomes a full-time job for the parent and becomes exhausting. And if they don't have the right support, it just wears you down after a while, you know, especially parents who are working sometimes more than one or one job, two jobs, or they have multiple children. And, and then they're dealing with 
whatever the disability is, the medical piece of it and all the other, like Maureen said, all the community pieces, it, it becomes very um, hard to keep that fight up unless you have support. I, I just think one other thing, um, um, our, Monica and I are doing um, a, um, a webinar on uh, Monday morning um, about what inclusion looks like. And I've had the um, wonderful opportunity of visiting um, places like the Henderson School up in Massachusetts, visiting a school up in New York State that are fully inclusive. Um, and it is a sight to behold. It is just an amazing sight to behold. So I think, you know, we we talk about inclusion, um, and but I think parents want to know what does this look like? So Monica and I are going to be doing a podcast that you can all join on Monday. Um, that not a podcast, a webinar that yeah, really will will show, right, will show what inclusion um, looks like in, in actual settings. And I would highly recommend if anybody has the opportunity to go visit the school up in Boston, um, go visit the school in New York State to really see what an inclusive school community um, can be. The, the webinar will also, we have a pretty um, active Facebook page. Okay. Um, so um, it'll be on our Facebook page as well. Okay, great. Yeah, we'll definitely add that to the um, to the notes for the podcast episode and a link to that. Um, so people can view that, um, you know, at their leisure. Um, yeah, so uh, thank you for that. Um, you know, with parents, as, as you mentioned, with everything going on and, and the jobs that they have and um, just everything and just life in general happening, uh, it can be very challenging to, um, you know, keep up with uh, their students and the inclusion and, you know, and, and getting all of that taken care of. So it, it really is, um, can be a challenging time for, for parents. Um, so the next part of the conversation, I would like to talk about, um, what do you wish districts would understand about inclusive education and uh, the importance of working collaboratively with parents? Thank you for listening to this episode of the Inclusion Think Tank podcast. This concludes part one of my conversation with Monica and Maureen. Join us again in two weeks for part two, where Monica and Maureen share why it is important for districts to work collaboratively with parents. In the meantime, be sure to subscribe and catch up on all previous episodes of the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. And don't forget to follow us on social media at NJCIE. Until next time.